yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Nice. Smell that dope when I pass by. Oh. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. First with us today, we got J-Bone. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And also with us today, we got DC. What up, dude? All right, so we got this drink that we're chomping at the bit to get talking about. Now, we've been hitting the IPAs and light drinks seasonally like we're supposed to, but it is that time of year, back into the dark beers. and mm-hmm. October 1st. And uh, I know you've steered away from dark beers and founders, but you also... Like being gifted beers. Yes. So I figure it's like a win-win. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we got a Founders Big Luscious, which is stout brewed with chocolate and raspberries. What do you guys think? I think it's delicious. It's got like, you can taste the chocolate raspberry, but it's not overly sweet. Uh, as with any flavored thing, I don't care if it's vodka brew nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goddamn, everybody's got a seltzer, but. The flavor is real comparable. It's almost like that dark coffee-ish Guinness taste with a hint of chocolate raspberry. Very good. I recommend it to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I like it a lot. And, you know, as you mentioned, I won't purchase a Founders beer, but if someone happens to have one or accidentally buys one for me, then I'm going to absolutely drink it with a happy smile on my face because it's delicious. But, yeah, I mean, they... They just do beer great. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, when it comes to the different flavors and combinations of beers, especially stouts, they're one of the best out there that does it. I remember you telling me that before, Mm -hmm. and I was gifted this four pack. Mm -hmm. So I was going to save the four pack. Two made it to the podcast. Uh (laughs) But but that's the first thing I thought. I was like, wait a minute. He'll he'll be gifted one. So we'll give it a (laughs) shot. We didn't make all four, but we made two. And that's pretty good. And it's progress. Yeah. Hey. Works for me. It's delicious. And I did make it pretty well through the season without drinking dark beers through summer. You know, I seasonally went to lighter beers and shanties and IPAs. I did it. Good yeah. job. I yeah, you stayed on your seasonal uh, <laughs> kick. It was good. I usually, I drink Edmund Fitzgerald's in July <laughs> in a big warm glass. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I pretty much stayed away from the stouts and the darks too through the summer and I tried quite a few new beers that was like kind of just going places and, you know, they have a 12 ounce or something, just trying something new. Mm. Uh, Most of them, I don't even remember the name, but it was a lot of new um, like hazes and things that I had this year just start popping up everywhere for some reason. But to your point, now that it's getting nice and cold, we got highs in the 50s gotta break the stouts back out oh yeah stout time <laughs> and founders does it right <laughs> they do i want to recommend a podcast before we get started i know j-bone you checked it out the partners in crime podcast yeah it's a guy is uh william crooks i believe his name is but he does similar to what we do well i mean i probably a little better they put like music and gunshots and stuff in there, <laughs> yeah. in there and stuff like that but i mean they talk it's strictly gangsters so if you're into like five families mob shit mm-hmm. they do that but it's a real good podcast. They 
kind of hang out and bullshit about the story. The difference is they all do the research mm-hmm. and they don't drink. Mm. Yeah. So when like unlike <laughs> ours, when they start off, they all know the guy. It's it's real similar to ours. I like it. And like, if you love ours, our fans. If you love when a gangster pops up on ours, like you'll love theirs because it's all all gangsters and they do a pretty good job. Yeah, sounds nice. With with ours, the great thing is because Locke does all the research. The only thing I have to be willing to do is come over and drink. Yes. How fun is that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have to come. So I have to drink some stout, some local stout beers, and I got to listen to your bullshit for about an hour and a half. All right, I'm in. Fuck it, let's do it. Exactly. But yeah, partners in crime. You can follow them on Instagram or go check out their podcast. It's on all the you know podcast apps. They had their newest one. They had Orlando Spado, the guy that wrote the book Accidental Gangster. So it's a good show. Check it out for sure. Nice. And then, like always, we got to make sure we thank. Six Fo Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro. In Cancer, we use his song Blood in the mid-roll. You can follow him on Instagram at Eyes Bleed Defiance. If you're having a hard time finding their links, you can go to our website, badguypodcast.com. And you can get the social media links, YouTube links, download the podcast. Direct you where you need to go. We'll go ahead and get started. And today, the bad guy we're going to be covering is Giacomo Vincenzo Colosimo. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Mm-hmm. Big Jimmy. It's a name for you. <laughs> yeah, so before you guys got here, I had to sit down here and practice that a couple times. Giacomo <laughs> Vincenzo Colosimo. Now, a.k.a. Big Jim, a.k.a. Diamond Jim. So most people have heard of uh, Big Jim Colosimo. Mm-hmm. Now it's Colosimo, Colosimo, either way. Tomato, I, tomato. I'm probably going to go with Colosimo a lot because I am. A gangster. Well, <laughs> my family were the Yankees at Ellis Island that were butchering these fucking names that were, you know, generationally have been around for centuries with all these heritage. And you, yeah. you walk into Ellis Island, what, you say Colosimo? All right, nah. writing it down. Okay, you but, know I'm going to tangent really quick. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever heard Khabib? pronounce his name himself Mm-mm. it's nothing like anybody says especially his last name it sounds nothing like it yeah well because yeah, he says like, it in his native tongue chechen tongue yeah. Yeah. but it's like uh yeah so i'm gonna go ahead and stay with uh khabib but even like the the you hear some people pronounce the k and some the h mm-hmm. his is like a you know like a, almost like a arabic like a ha, like yeah. you, you yeah it's yeah. like a habib so it's habib. like yeah. I see how people can go with like a either or. Which the... either one you can say. Exactly. So nowadays we know that because we have like birth certificates of technology and mm-hmm. all this stuff to say how to spell it. Mm-hmm. A lot of these names, when we pull them out of history, we'd know how based on how people said it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't written mm-hmm. down that much. Birth certificates, mm-hmm. social security, all that stuff was far and few mm-hmm. between. So Frankie Yale's name was Frankie Yole. <laughs> and it's like I O L E apostrophe like this. At some point, he just ends up at Yale. Yeah, it's Yale. close enough. Frankie Yale, just call me Frankie Yale. The fuck am I doing? <laughs> well, and we see this with Big Jim. Mm-hmm. For some reason, now a lot of Jacomos become Jacks, mm-hmm. but he ditched that entirely. But for some reason, in the early 1900s, Sicilians coming to America, a lot of Vincenzos went by James ah, or Jimmy. Didn't know that. It sounds bizarre, and like if you're listening to this, you think mm-hmm. like, oh no. But we covered Jack McGurn. His mm-hmm. name was actually Vincenzo, who went by James. 
you Google it, it's a thing, and there's no real reasoning for it. A lot of people think it might be that there were so many Vincenzos, a lot would go by Vinny. Someone mm-hmm. would go by Chenzo or Chenz. Mm-hmm. That the way you pronounce Chenz with an Italian accent would sound like James. Ah, okay. So they think it might have came from that. but So they get here off the boat. It's mm-hmm. early, late 1800s, early 1900s. Like, a Chenz. Yeah, dude, you're Jack. Okay, over here. <laughs> Nothing changed over, you know, because in 2021 here, it's the same thing. Yeah. I stopped trying to figure out where nicknames come from a long time ago. I mean, I've never, still don't understand how well, you get Dick from Richard. the most of the official, the, oh, you know, yeah. Don't, I love the coffee cup, don't be a Richard. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's awesome that in this day and age, too, like, like he mentioned all the technology, you can spit in a cup and tell you like yep you're three quarters of a jew whatever Mm -hmm. but like the origin of nicknames at the end they'll have these elaborate sweet stories the most likely story Mm -hmm. and then at the end say but no one really knows like oh dude just so we just now i inside of my head i get your opinion too like of these two other things that it might be like Maybe it's because they said tens or I don't know. The middle finger, like, dig into that. Like, how really fuck you is that? Like, it means, uh, but, it, you know, like, check it out. The very first gang sign. Yes. <laughs> he was born February 16th, 1878 in Calabria, Italy. Calabresi. They immigrated to America in 1895 at the age of 17, and he settled in Chicago, where he began a life as a petty criminal. Just started off doing typical low-level shit. Pickpockets, muggins, shit like that. Knock over fruit carts. All the good old stuff that a kid could do. The classics. Yes. As we call them. (laughs) After a while, he catches the attention of corrupt aldermen Michael Hinky Dink Kenna and Bathhouse John Coughlin. Now, these two represented the first ward, and they were the aldermen of what was known as the Levy District. How do you get a nickname like Bathhouse? Okay. I know the origin of both their nicknames, okay. and his name was Bathhouse Jim because he used to give guys massages at the bathhouse. <laughs> what and, kind and, of massage and, was that exactly? And the, <laughs> that's the least gay thing, like I'm sure. Like, I'm ho- yeah, I'm just hoping. No, because that say, that was no, like because a... of how them nicknames come about. Say he worked at the butcher shop, it'd be mm. like you know that's that's Ground Chuck Charlie. Like they just like whatever you <laughs> did. So it didn't have any, you know, negative implications. <laughs> it was just like, no, he's Bathhouse Jim because he works. At he the works bath at house. the bathhouse. Oh, okay. I mean, there's <laughs> okay Hink, Hinky Dink. Like he worked at the Yo-Yo Factory. He <laughs> he, he looks like he owns a video. <laughs> he owns a company that makes board games. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's Milton and Bradley. <laughs> They'd sometimes be called Dink and Bath, but they were the two corrupt politicians that. Ran the Levy District in Chicago. That's Chicago's Tanami Hall and whatnot. Yeah. Well, honestly, I mean, we'll kind of get into it a little bit. Everybody knows Tammany Hall and Boss Tweed and all that stuff. Uh, Hinky Dink and Bath were disciples. The, chi- the Chicago version of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they, and people f- sleep on Chicago corruption, man. That shit fucking same thing as Tammany Hall from the 1800s to the 1960s, man. They ripped through there. Yeah. I don't know why people would sleep on that. Yeah, <laughs> they do, man. It's because Midwest don't get enough respect. And that was also early 1900s where they had the Levy District or the Red Lake District. That was at a time frame where they then they thought, well, we'll just put it all in one area so we could control it. So it was almost 
not legal, but semi-legal. Mm-hmm. You knew that was going. So, like, this is where the, the brothels and the gambling dens, anything you're going to do illegal, it goes into this area. Somebody, now, you know I never watched uh, The Wire, but somebody tell me there was, like, they did that in The Wire at one point in time where, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. was a part of it where they created one little sector and it's like, okay, you can sell drugs, you can do all this, but it has to be contained here. The funny thing about that is I think if that was really a, a legal ideology there would be a lot less crimes and different things like that in different cities if certain things were sectored to the city, right? Yeah. To that that particular area, especially when you look at stuff like prostitution, things of that sort. If there was like a, a sector, it's like, okay, the, this is where you can go. This strip is where you can get the ladies or lady boys, if that's your thing. Yeah. <laughs> if this strip is where you can do that at, now all of a sudden you don't have the the prostitutes that venture out into the neighborhoods or things of that sort on street corners and all these other things, it's really contained. And, you know, in certain areas, I remember even here in the uh, Detroit area at one point in time, it got really bad. Like you'd be leaving a club or something like that. In the neighborhood I'm from, you'd be driving down a major street and it literally looked like, uh, you know, the movie, what was that? Pimps up, holes down or whatever. Like yeah. literally they would be out walking with like bathing suits and stuff on like, wait a minute, is this for real? You know, but I think if you can contain certain things to an area, you can control it. I mean, they would rather be working out of a room or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's dangerous for them, the customer, the cops that got to police it, like if it's all in a district. Yeah. Same thing like within Amsterdam, if there was like, you want drugs, you want the people to be good. But if they're going to be on drugs anyway, have like a heroin den. Mm-hmm. Then your kids don't go to the park and there's needles and like the zombies walking exactly. around. They yeah. got an area to hang out. Yeah. And some of them might OD all that, but they're going to do that anyway until you get yeah. them through rehab or whatever the the answer is that I don't know. But yeah, have it all in an area. You know, what's funny is you compared it to The Wire, where you heard something about that. You mm-hmm. compared it to Amsterdam. In The Wire, they called that area Hamsterdam. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because nice. it was like a butchered up just uh-huh. version, like a street version of, oh, it was like Amsterdam. And, shit. and it brings Amsterdam. us right back here, because that was that guy's name, Hinky Dink Hamsterdam. <laughs> because... <laughs> Big Jim started working for Hink- Hinky Dink and Bathhouse as a bagman. He caught their attention. And eventually rose to precinct captain due to his ability to bring in the Italian votes. That gave him the political connections and protection that would separate him from the many of the criminal rivals. It, it seems bizarre because now we just know what the, the script is. But at some point, somebody had to be the first one to say, maybe we could just work with these guys. And it's the O word. It's like the beginning of like, hey, we're all little syndicates of crime crap. Let's organize. <laughs> there was a, um, I think it was an HBO miniseries that uh the man who built america and in that they had like some they were showing like uh the first guys that got together and decided to start buying politicians and presidential races and stuff like that and it's so funny because that story is so old and And we're living it right this second well the difference is now people don't believe that it goes on anymore right and it's a story as old as anything else that's like not believing that prostitution we elect our senators there's no way they can be owned (laughs) by a company there's no way there's no way there's prostitution we don't believe that women don't sell their bodies anymore big jim was known he got the name big jim he was a big dude he was six foot over 200 pounds 
which in the early 1900s is the modern equivalent of like an NFL tight end. Yeah, we're at the average of like five foot's a big dude, 160 pounds. So like, so he's he's a big boy, and he was charming. You know, he's big, good looking Italian dude. He decides to move into prostitution. In 1902, he married Victoria Moresco, who was an established madam. She was overweight and six years older than him. So that's Victoria's secret. <laughs> man, what's that British singer? Oh, man. Oh, her name escapes me. Oh, man. Boyle? Yeah. Uh, uh, Susan Boyle. Yeah, there you go. She does kind of remind Because after it's Susan released, Boyle. the fans will be able to look this up, you yeah. know, on the website. Like, yeah. Well, you know, listen... Sometimes you don't marry for looks, you know. She was this a madam, was so she had a stable, yep. you know. And uh, sometimes it's more important. Listen, he's trying to get his business acclimate going right now. You all are looking at the wrong thing. She's bringing the north side of Chicago <laughs> hot and cold running pussy. He exactly. just wants to be in the, you know, make me the CEO. Exactly. She had two dollar brothels. Not two dollar brothels. To one dollar from the original dollar store. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I wonder what the equivalent of a dollar would have been back then. Man, this is the second podcast in a row I got caught on that without knowing the numbers on it. Dude, well, this, no, this but, I mean, I don't know. Like, that's probably your Michigan Avenue in today's time. Uh-huh. Your Michigan Avenue $10 blowjob. <laughs> well, I will say this. When, when we did the oh, Everlay man. episode... Which I would highly recommend. It covers like a lot of this Levy District stuff. They had fifty cent brothels too. Where was OnlyFans back then? Yes. <laughs> nope. They had to do fifty cent fucking brothels and shit. As we covered, he married her as a business decision, not out of love. <laughs> yes. I mean it worked for him. Yeah. Hey. So he dressed in nice suits, wore diamond jewelry, diamond rings, diamond belt, buckles. We all know of him as Big Jim. A lot of people start calling him Diamond Jim. Within a few years, he expanded the operation to 200 brothels, and he also added in gambling. Oh, that's a that's a big jump, a hundred times over. Yeah, it's a big jump, but hey, look, she she had some know-how mm-hmm. and some capital, needed some muscle. Well, it's the two ancient original, you know, like one is definitely the original sin, and the other mm-hmm. one is probably a good number two. Years later, Bugsy's going to take this model and start what you know as Las Vegas. Good point. What well, we say earlier about-, about keeping it a district. Yeah. He made a whole, like, a I'm going to invent that district. I'm going to call it a county and cram as much of those two things in here as we can. So with his political connections and his huge operation, he, and beco- his hottie. <laughs> he becomes the biggest organized crime member in Chicago, which brought in the attention of the local black hand gangs, which we've covered that to death on the podcast. But any anytime you have a Little Italy or an Italian Harlem or anywhere that's got Italian in the name, the black hand shows up there and even big Jim got nervous when the black hand showed up, which I think is crazy. Cause we always hear about them picking on store owners and shit like that, but that's how they really made their money is they picked on the gangsters too. The funny thing is I see how he can take control with, you know, 200 brothels. You figure if you control the girls and you know, we know all the politicians and everyone was going to these establishments. You end up with so many secrets and other things like that. Leverage. It becomes, like, yeah, you get so much leverage. It becomes easy to extort, easy to get things done. My you permits know. are renewed every year and I don't exactly. pay. I got, you know, if I need my buildings inspected, they're going to be a okay. We absolutely inspected your restaurant, mm-hmm. sir. 
your fish market, sir. You're paying half <laughs> the, the wink. Half the city taxes you owe. I'm going to put full paid. Thank you. The Black Hand was a form of an extortion racket that dates back to Naples in the 1700s. But what he did have in order to deal with this, his wife's cousin, who they called his nephew, from Brooklyn, a guy named Johnny Torrio, who he brought in that used to work as a Black Hand operator. And he brought him into Chicago. So we all know Johnny Torrio as fucking, he's the in the boss. Five Points Gang. Yeah, the guy that brought on, tutored Frankie Gale, brought in Capone. That's how we end up in Chicago. Big Jim needed help. So Torrio had experience dealing with the Black Hand. Now, he preferred business first, but he'd been in organized crime his whole life. So he knew how to handle shit. And he squashed the Black Hand problem, like, immediately after getting brought in from Brooklyn. It's crazy how, still to this day, like, starting about political corruption and stuff like that there's so much extortion and other things that go on still to this day that's just kind of under the rug and people think like these things just go away like no they don't go away no (laughs) never in return for taking care of the black hand and giving him carte blanche to grow his operation he appointed johnny torrio the number two all right what we're gonna do we're gonna take a real quick smoke break we'll refill our drinks and we'll be back in a minute we are so we left off big jim colosimo colosimo whatever tomato tomato <laughs> brought in johnny torrio to secure all of his operations in the levy district of chicago and made him number two of his operation so 1910 big jim opened a restaurant and nightclub named, known as colosimo's cafe which was a local hot spot so he had his restaurant and nightclub and that became like his uh bread and butter Brought in a lot of money. He had all of his uh, other gambling business. Centralized, like an office for it. So over the next decade, Big Jim, with the assistance of Johnny Torrio, built one of the largest organized criminal operations in Chicago. Oh, there's Johnny Torrio. That's like a decade difference. He looks like the exact same. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a million pictures. Because he's a who's who. And, you know, Every like single picture world. looks like that. <laughs> and I was going to say, he looks like that from the time he's 35 all the way till he's 60. He has uh, one pose. Make sure you give him a good yeah. sign. <laughs> Over the next decade, they built the largest organized operation in Chicago. 
1919, Johnny Torrio opened the Four Deuces on South Wabash. It was 2222 South Wabash. That's what it's called, the Four Deuces. And he was one of the first places to put prostitution, the gambling den. Everything was on a different floor. So he had like a prostitution floor, a gambling floor, a bar, a dance club. You just go whichever floor you wanted and party there. As J-Bone mentioned, a.k.a. The Palms. (laughs) (laughs) It's for you in modern times. So or now you call the prostitution <laughs> the hotel. Can we comp your stay, sir? <laughs> Eventually, Johnny Torrio brings in Al Capone to help him run the Four Deuces. So he's known Al Capone's first job was the Four Deuces. He worked as a bouncer. He worked as a bartender. He worked as a barker. Like, there's a lot of stories of him being a barker in front of the Four Deuces. Come on in here. Yeah. Come on in here. I'll beat the fuck out of you. Come on in here. <laughs> you don't walk away from me. <laughs> You going to that club over there? You going to this one over here? Get in here. <laughs> but when everybody just assumes it was always glorious, like, yeah, he went to Chicago, went straight to work well, at the Four Deuces as a fucking barker in front. All these, all three of them so far are like the who's who of the Chicago, like, syndicate of the, the outfit. But it's not like a normal El Capone or Johnny story when they're already the boss. This is like when they're first landing, like. Yeah, man, your fucking man-looking cousin aunt had to fucking bring you in, and like you know, and you still had some issues to work. Because at this point, they're still, even now with the two-two-two thing, you know, they're not the bot. They run their own little district, but the, it's not what it's about to be. Like, I mean, about, right? I think that's the way most things work, though. For some reason, people think you just become the boss. No, yeah, you do have cases where. Maybe your dad was the boss. You had an easy road. But for most people, you come in on the low end. It's funny because I remember, of course, I have to make another MMA reference. When uh, Dana White and uh, Floyd Mayweather were kind of having some words back and forth. And Floyd was like, Dana can fool all of y'all. But I remember he was my bag man. Like, he literally used to carry my bags and my luggage. And now Dana White is Dana White, you know. And Dana White ended up admitting to it, you know. And a lot of times that that makes the best Dana White. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. like Emerald Lagazzi, you know, Mm -hmm. like was a dishwasher at this famous Italian restaurant. Now he has his own line of spices and restaurants and da-da-da. Like, these guys coming up. He was a bag man. Mm-hmm. Like he's gonna you we all know what these guys turn out to be later yeah. on in life. But it's kinda this show is like awesome, like hearing about because a lot of guys that cover these guys, it's already when they're the the Tony Sopranos of the, of their era. They're not Yeah, man, this fucking dude's a dishwasher, you know, right now. We know who he's big, gonna big, be. Big Jim didn't jump off the boat and say, You know what, I run Chicago. <laughs> yeah. I run this shit. But yeah, I mean in most cases with a business too, that's the way you do it. How else do you, you learn know all the different out, eyes? Yeah. Exactly. You learn all the aspects. I'm you gonna start, start a on chain a low of dry end. cleaners known like nationwide as the best because I I worked in the press in the back and I I used to bag mm-hmm. up laundry and I've stained a, a rich dude shirt and I know mm-hmm. you ever see uh it's real big now, Cobra Kai. Like I watched it, it was on YouTube but now mm-hmm. it made it to Netflix, so it's real. Oh, it's on Netflix now? Yeah, so now people have watched the fuck out of it, but there's this whole scene like cause, you know, Danny the Russo's got this big fucking uh Carlot Empire sells okay. cars and shit. <laughs> okay. But it shows he's got a whole scene of how he knows, mm-hmm. you know, he walks through the fucking garage and tells mm-hmm. the guy, like, oh no, this is how you, you know, jack up. Like he knows everything. He knows mm-hmm. the cars, he knows the sales, mm-hmm. he knows everything. And how sweet is that if you hearken back to the first movie when his mom has that broken down station wagon 
and Mr. Miyagi fixes up that old ass ah, car. Kind of yeah. wax on, wax off. Cars is kind of prevalent in the whole yeah. thing. Makes sense in a subtle way. Mm-hmm. Like you see how it's all bringing it back home. Right. Yeah. Now he's now he's a yeah. successful guy that owns car dealerships and shit. Well, I feel sorry for the porter that works at Larusso fucking you know Ford and like <laughs> no wax on you wax little motherfucking off. you're staying out here till midnight. <laughs> Come out there with electric. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. no, no. We no. do this That's traditional. That's not how we do this. Several months after the beginning of Prohibition in March 1920, Jim left his wife and remarried a beautiful 19-year-old singer named Dale Winter. By that time, you know, he had the money and the power, so, you know, he needed a little trophy piece for his army. Sometimes you got to get a trophy. When you win a championship, you have to get a trophy. Big Bertha served her purpose. You know, they had a good... <laughs> We had a good run, you know, what we're doing. Have you met Dale Winter? (laughs) So he marries a showgirl, and most people kind of say he went soft. So Johnny Torrio was the up-and-coming guy. He's like, Prohibition's going to be a cash cow. Let's do it. Big Jim said, this seems like it's going to be a lot of trouble. We're going to buy liquor to sell at Colosimo's. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're going to do that. You could sell it at the brothels or whatever, but we're not going to run it, get into distribution and shit like that. We'll be a customer. You know, Mm -hmm. we'll sell some liquor, mark it up. Johnny Torrio was like, no, this is the moneymaker. Some people say he went soft. He had Colosimos, which he loved, and then he had his money coming from the brothels. He thought brothels and gambling was where the money was at, mm-hmm. long term. Which, honestly, after Prohibition came and went, Tony Accardo was on the other side like, hey, like I said, Prohibition came and went. <laughs> Girls and gambling. Well, because all the back way, way before these two got into prostitution and gambling, those two things go back to, like, Jesus' time. There wasn't prohibition in Jesus' time. There wasn't heroin in Jesus' time. There wasn't fucking ID fraud. Still now. That's always a new thing. Union labor. Still now, I mean, you figure girls and gambling is what... It's still their bread and butter. You look at, like I made the joke about OnlyFans earlier, but if you look at it during the pandemic, you had women become millionaires off of OnlyFans. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it's the craziest thing. And, you know, you got betting here in Detroit now do all type of sports betting and everything else. So now, all of a sudden, the UFC spikes really big during the pandemic, and a lot of it came from people betting on fights. It's not going anywhere. Nope. None of this sits well with the ambitious Johnny Torrio. He reaches out to another one of his old Brooklyn contacts, Frankie Yale, and brings Frankie Yale in to help him take care of it. On May 11th, 1920, Prohibition took place, I think, January 17th? It's all, it yeah, the, it's pretty close to that time. I think it was January 17th. So this is only in May, May 11th. So it's only four months after Prohibition. Giatorio calls Big Jim and says, hey, I can't make the shipment at Colosimo's for your liquor coming in. You got to show up to get it. Big Jim's pissed, but he shows up to pick up the liquor shipment. So he gets all pissed off, and eventually he steps out into the coat room, and a gunman steps into the coat room and shoots him twice. Frankie Yell was brought in from Brooklyn. He's brought into custody... It was questioned for the murder, but no one was ever charged. It was pretty common gangland knowledge that Frankie L killed Big Jim in the coat room of Colosimos. Mm-hmm. I don't have that picture. I thought I had it on here, but uh turns out I don't, but whatever. But he killed him in the coat room. We've seen dead bodies. You can imagine what it would <laughs> look seen like. Coat coat rooms. <laughs> You've seen dead bodies. Put them together you know, in your mind. That's what <laughs> it looked like. Especially in the good old Midwest, we know about coat rooms. Uh, I'll dig the fucking hole. It ain't my fucking first <laughs> hole. I'll take him to the coat room. After the murder of Big Jim, Johnny Torrio took over all operations, moving up Al Capone to his number two. They went on to build what is now known as the Chicago Outfit to this day. So that's the story of Big Jim Colosimo. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. 
Last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. Good shit. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen Boardwalk Empire, a lot of these different movies. Big Jim's been bit portrayed a handful of times by a bunch of different dudes. You guys got an idea for I show you guys these pictures I got of them? Do you want to shoot first, DC, or...? No, I'm going to let you go first because I don't have no idea. <laughs> he's, he's usually got to think of a random athlete or yeah. MMA fighter pick to play him. In this. DC's going to say Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> I'm going to say John Hamm. I have to uh-huh. look him up. John Hamm? Yeah. So that's the guy from Mad, Mad uh, Men? Of course, I'm not getting a good signal. So this is John Hamm. Uh, okay. Yeah. Face is a little goofy, but he's a big frame dude. Okay. He's not a little guy. Hmm. Well, here you go. Here's a couple pictures of Big Jim, a.k.a. Diamond Jim. Okay. Hey, he looks like a Big Jim. Like, he's a big yeah, dude, he but he's not like, uh, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, obese and shit. He's just a big, yeah, burly-ass motherfucker. Dude. That picture of him with the cane, he looked like he beat the fuck out of you with that cane. He looks like FDR there, like, kind of. <laughs> but then over here, he looks like Stan Van Gundy, like. <laughs> Check out this. So, you know that 19-year-old hottie showgirl? Yeah, yeah let's see that piece. This is. Oh, uh, she's a dime. After you showed the manly looking thing that he was married to, uh, <laughs> Susan Boyle meets a fucking statue and fucking Zagreb. Hey, like, you know he's in love. Oh, Look at that like a little hat posed up and shit. Yeah, like, that's funny. That's some fucking. I agree with uh, Torio and them. He did go soft. I don't. I don't know if this is true, but I'm gonna go ahead and say it as far as our podcast is concerned. Mm-hmm. Big Jim invented glamour shots. <laughs> I mean, this is like what 1919 or like early 1920. Exactly. He's getting pictures with his. Yeah. yeah, that is pretty soft. <laughs> His boo, they got matching canes. There's no Facebook and shit back then, but you can you knew if there was, like that would be on his. That's his profile pic. This is on Instagram. Because well, look, there's people that were gangsters at this time that have like one picture their whole life, and yeah. it's a mug shot. You know what I mean? Like with their fedora sing, half sing covered in their face, like, or something. Yeah, like he has posed up photos with his boo everybody <laughs> knows this is mine uh-huh. i'm not good with slang but i believe we call that caking yes <laughs> that would be it so yeah i mean i don't know i think you're saying any big burly motherfucker i'm sure I th- oh what's the guy nick uh offerman yeah nick offerman who is that uh, <laughs> i don't know him either oh yeah. yep i know him i didn't recognize him from the this picture but the one uh, let me go back but the one this one I recognize. Yeah, take off yeah. that beard, like put your thumbs over the beard just to leave that mustache. <laughs> like that that mustache. Yeah. Well, okay, he's one of those actors that now when he's not acting, he's made pl- enough money, does whatever he wants. Mm. He's into woodworking. He makes like handmade kayaks. Really? Yeah. Sweet. Which, that's a, like Daniel Day-Lewis became a cobbler. Like he makes like handmade shoes and shit. Like at some point you just put mm. so much into being a weird enough person to become a successful actor that you just say, Fuck it, I'm going to make handmade wooden kayaks. Yeah. I think, too, some people... Talk about a niche market. If if you're not a, a big-time overspender, and you're not just this ambitious, I want to take over the world person, you have a lot of money, it becomes, what do I do now? It's like, if you all have ever seen the movie, I forget what it's called, Rich Kids or something like that, and um, it was this guy that was rich, and he was trying to find purpose, and his family had inherited you know, money through generations. And he went around talking to other rich kids that were in similar position, trying to, they're all trying to basically understand and find purpose. So he ends up talking to his father. And I think they were of Johnson and Johnson fortune. He ends up talking to his father and he's like, well, you know, what did you do and how you find purpose? Now his dad has never had a job in his life either. 
his dad was a collector of stamps. And so he takes them and he shows us the book and everything. He's like, yeah, you know, and I got this one and such and such. It's like, listen, he's trying to find, imagine being born with all the money. You'll he's never have to, to work a day in your life. You're trying to tell him about your hobby. <laughs> so I think some of these actors, if you don't have that ambition to do other things like a Ashton Kutcher wanting to be a businessman or some yeah. of these other things, then it's like, okay, I got enough money. I don't overspend. What do I do? I love to make shoes. <laughs> like, did you see those shoes I made? Like, they right. were really good. Like, I know I could do better, but like, I, I start now. By the time I'm, I could master. I'm, shoe, I'm shoe pretty guy. sure I can recreate the shoes of the Iron Sheik. <laughs> Who is it? Uh, Tom Papa? Doesn't somebody make like artesian fucking like artisan um sourdough bread and like? Yeah, yeah. Like... A lot of people. Uh, Bert Bert Kreischer used to do fucking leather work in Indonesia. So now we got to do the DEFCON scale. Now here's the tough thing is we don't have a lot of information on him except an overview of how it goes. And a lot of that comes into, at the time, access to records and police records and all these different things. It's just not where it was. We covered someone that it didn't show that they were in jail unless they were there for over six months. Mm -hmm. Like it didn't register as a stat. You know what I mean? So it's really tough to tell and lack of media information. Mm -hmm. So there's just not as much information out there. But if we were to do a DEFCON scale... Where do you think you would put Big Jim? Yeah, I'll go first. I mean, uh, based on what we have for information and even, you know, you talking about his representation in movies and things of that sort, I just didn't know him to be that bad of a guy as far as, like, killing a bunch of people or anything like that. It was more the organized crime side of being a businessman, mm-hmm. which ultimately is with what the, you know, mob end up doing and really becoming once all the, you know, bloody wars were over. Uh, and still to this day, if you talk to, you know, I've mentioned before, you have some of the, the uh, old mobster guys that, like, have YouTube channels and podcasts and everything now, and, you know, it's it's more things that they talk about. Oh, man, Michael Francis is like a fucking, like, a <laughs> yeah. mainstream dude yeah, now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He, he's on everybody's yeah. stuff, and he, he launched his own YouTube channel. And, um, well, yeah, not just that, of course. Everybody Bulls out there now. Everybody yeah. would know that he yeah. did that, but, like, he's on, Mike's on Mike Tyson's. Mike's yeah. on well, Mike, the Joe Rogan. Well, Mike Francis yeah. has some loophole yeah. where he technically didn't rap. Yeah, so yeah, he did. So he just talks yeah. like he's just loud and proud. Like hey, yeah. I'm, I'm the real gangster. Like he's like the real authority. I think he escaped long enough for enough people from his time to yeah. kind of pass and things to smooth over for him to kind of be out and talking. But, um, so when you look at that and you hear guys like that, they tell you the mob is alive and well. The only difference is they're businessmen, they're politicians. Some of the areas where they were paying people off, they just infiltrated those areas period Mm -hmm. so they're still about business and corruption is just not the slaughter that you usually see and i think it's a lot of union labor and exactly still all all that union labor in in new york lobbyists gotta be exactly so i would put him in that category as just an early stevedores (laughs) exactly he's an early rendition before the big big bloody wars and i think his way was a bit of a better way than that. Although you know how things are, sometimes you have to go through transitions to get back to something for it to stabilize out. So I would say I would put him as a what's our lowest five? five. Yeah, I would put him as a as a five definitely. Unless more information comes out, that's where I would put him. We think Jay. Well, uh, my take on it is 
okay, it's Big Jim, so I can't go with DC. I couldn't give him a five. Couldn't even give him a full four. Like, I'd give him a, if we did it in half increments, I'd give him like a three and a half closer to a four. Because in that organizing the two, when he marries Bertha, and the 200 uh, brothels, and being him, Torrio, and Capone, I'm sure it's not a huge like body count, like a McGurn, somebody that kills is the enforcer part of their clique. But what it is, is the body count's not over-extravagance. You see the reluctancy to, like, expand into other things. Like, he was a gangster to a point, but, like, I do agree with Torrio and them. After he got married, he was softer. So that's why he he was more of that organizational type dude. Like I say, I'm sure there were some bodies in there protecting 200 brothels, this and that. But, like, to echo your sentiments, the first paying off building inspectors and local politicians and councilmen and all that, which you get into today, unless they find your laptop, you pretty much, it's still going on today. <laughs> or your cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's, I, I give them a three right in the middle of the pack. Because now if we were doing Torrio and El Capone, the other two guys that there's three that have to tell Big Jim's story, mm-hmm. they're not getting a three and definitely not getting a five. We'll, well save that for their respective Because at shows, some point, Johnny but... Torrio's story is like, so then I killed my boss, right? <laughs> come on. He didn't want to act right. I told him we can expand yeah. the shit. I called my other friend, come over to meet him in the co-room. Yeah. Told him, bring it back, meet him in the I co-room. I told him we need to expand to this business. He said, no, I'll be a customer. I said, no, you're going to be over yeah. this. He said, no, I killed him. I yeah. mean, that's how it goes. It's an older school. It turns out I'm in church. <laughs> it's an older school, more harsh way of today's cancel culture. He was cancel culture. <laughs> he totally well, canceled like, Big Jim. Like, well, you can't just kill him and take over. Well, my boy says I can. Well, who's your boy? Al Capone. Yeah, yeah Al Capone's you know cool. Al. Come yeah. on, you know Al. Yeah, I say it's cool. <laughs> Former well, Bagman says it's cool. <laughs> I guess it's cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, didn't you just yell at me in front of the four deuces the other day? Yeah, you forget gotta... about it. <laughs> what do you give him, Locke? You know, I guess if we go based on strictly information, it seems like a five because there's no bodies. But I also think you don't build that empire in you the levy. To, you don't, that shit doesn't assume... get handed to you. And that's why I say a lot of it comes to records and shit you know what i mean like you know nobody gave a a fuck about like some dead fucking people that you buried i would put them right in the fucking middle around a four you can't build that kind of empire and not he's not lee murray that did a robbery and punched a couple Mm -hmm. people you know what i mean he built the empire i think when you start getting too high in the numbers is when you start putting body counts for no reason so i call him a four since my podcast (laughs) so four they're moving in. I say we go to DEFCON 4. All right, so this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening. Yeah, say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. I come in last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Good guy come in last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. Down bad, my mama had to be dead. Spent my birthdays in the trap. We had to work with what we had. She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man. Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the camera. And I don't need a hundred friends. I just want a hundred bands, a hundred jugs, a hundred scams. Hey, hey. So I don't money grab the hundred hams. 
Said I done money grabbed a bunch of And bitch. I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the missiles. Fuck a judge with a grudge. I'm blowing crud for my mental life. Ay. And I still keep it on me. Run into your big homie. For you meet your dead homie. Ay. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming in last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. Ay. I lay my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. I just did the dash in the fast lane. Let my money at a fast pace, look like a drag race. Country up in my ashtray, I'm in my bag. Hey, good girl, bad face, slim waist, and her ass fake. Hey, and she in love with the bad guy. But bad bitches never act right. Hey, she act up until that bag flies. I did a turn around in one night. Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. You smell the dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace.